You're listening to Females in Fantasy, a podcast elevating the voices of women authors of science fiction and fantasy who write about kick-ass heroines. I am your host, Brianna Da Silva, and this is Season 3, Episode 2. Today, we are hearing from best-selling author Susan Denard. She is the author of the Witchlands series and the Something Strange and Deadly series. And she's here to talk about a number of things, including her writing process, world building, and the concept of intersectionality as it relates to characters. Here's my conversation with Susan. Welcome, Susan, to the Females in Fantasy podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's finally spring where I live, which is nice. Yes, yes. It's like, uh, I think we're in the same like um, time zone or whatever. So I, I'm experiencing similar weather. And yeah, it was like extremely cold last week yeah. and <laughs> finally warming up. Yeah. Such a relief. Um, yeah. So when I, whenever I first start these conversations, um, I usually ask people like how they first started getting into writing, kind of like what their backstory is with publishing and all that. So tell us a little bit about your story with uh, writing stories. Well, I was always a storyteller growing up, being various formats. I used to like subject my sister to many verbal stories, or I would like summarize whatever book I was reading for her. And I don't know why she put up with it because I wasn't very good at it, telling stories. But I don't know, I've always had this need to tell stories. Um, and so writing just happens to be the format that I'm working in right now. Uh, and yeah, I actually got my degree in marine science. Um, I didn't really think I was cut out for publishing and writing. Um, but then opportunity came along in the form of moving to the middle of nowhere with my new fiance and not being able to work in my former field. And so I, I ended up using my spare time when I wasn't working uh, to, to write a novel, my first novel. And uh, what was your first novel? The first novel I finished was terrible and shall never see the light of day. Uh, and how am I not surprised? That's how the story always goes. You learn a lot. And then the second novel I wrote was and actually finished is called Something Strange and Deadly. And that came out in 2012 from HarperCollins. So one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about was actually um, more related to your other, your other series, um, The Witchlands. And that is kind of the topic of witches in general. And um, how how they're portrayed in in um, speculative fiction, and especially um, when we're talking about like female characters with power and things like that. Although in your in your books, um, which is gender neutral, correct? Yes, that's correct. It is correct. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get back to that in a second. Um, but first, just kind of like talking about this in general. Do you think there are different meanings and connotations that people might have? with the words witch and wizard, besides like the obvious difference in gender? Are there any like things that you think come to people's minds that are different? I think witch will always have a more negative connotation. Uh, you know, you think of wizard and you think of Gandalf and power. And uh, unfortunately, I think the word witch, not only does it mean someone who wields magic, but also it's a, it's an insult, right? She's a witch. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a negativity associated with that word versus the term wizard, which tends to be a more masculine term. Yeah. And, and it seems also to me that sometimes the association with evil is, is more likely with witch, although I think both can be the case. But it's like, if someone's a witch, there's like this association more that it's like something really like, really bad, right? Yeah, exactly. 
but then you can be a wizard and something. It's like, oh, you're just really powerful at this. or you're really talented at it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. True. It's true. It's a good point. You, you do say someone's a wizard to mean they're good at something. What do you think that is? What do you think which has, I know that's a huge question, but like, <laughs> let's just start this off. What do you think the negative associations come from? I mean, I, I think it's what it always is, right? Which is primarily female and women are going to always be associated with the negative and men will have the opposite. I feel like it's a pretty, probably it. Mm. Yeah. And there's also this the kind of a historical aspect of it too, that I feel like I don't really fully understand. I think there's a lot there that I don't know. Um, and maybe it really is just like the same answer, but like, but extrapolated or whatever. But, um, you know, there, there's, there's also been the kind of like the fear of like powerful women, right? Because like you have, um, if someone's a witch, then they would have like extra supernatural power. And then all of the status quo is kind of threatened. Witches were a thing, right? They were persecuted. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure wizards were ever an actual thing <laughs> that people yeah. went out to destroy. So, um, and I, I'm not the same. Those women actually practiced magic. Can't say that I believe in it. Um, but they were called witches and, and treated as such. Whereas I don't, I don't think there was ever any time in history where they were like, let's persecute wizards. Yes. So, let's go on wizard hunts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, it's like you said, women in power, they're given a label and we set out to destroy them. Yeah. And then like those who would go out of line and things like that, I, I, I think might be, might be part of it too. And I mean, and part of that, of course, is just like uh, for magic users in general, there was the kind of like the sphere, um, especially like in Christian cultures, which, which still is present, I would say in like, um, like Christian subcultures, it's like the sense that like, oh, it's the supernatural thing that isn't our supernatural thing. So it's evil, but then it's like stronger when it's with a woman, because to that, I guess that was kind of disturbing, especially if in a patriarchal society where women are supposed to be subservient, you have one that has the potential to be very powerful. That's like extra scary, right? <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I can't comment on like Christianity. <laughs> I am, have no ties whatsoever to that or history in that. But um, yeah, I think globally, that's always the case. How do you think that association, um, the kind of like the negative association with witches that isn't as present with wizards, how do you think that influences the way that magical characters are written in fiction? Like consciously and unconsciously, like what like kind of things that maybe like sneak in? Gigantic question that I feel like I would need a novel or a, a book or fill. I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's not something mm. I sat down and, and considered. So. Mm. Yeah, that's one of those questions you could probably teach a a seminar on. Yeah, yeah, this is true. I I do have a suspicion that there's been like a difference. I don't know what you would think about this, like kind of since Harry Potter came out, that some of that negativity has shifted a little bit. I don't know. Do you see that kind of a pattern or what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I was never big in the Harry Potter craze. Mm. I, I liked the books very much, don't get me wrong, but I was never someone who avidly followed them. Uh, and yeah, I, I guess. I mean, to me, I still think of the word witch as a more negative word. Mm. Uh, I, I would certainly say if we're talking to older generations, that's how they're going to feel. Um, I don't know. I really, I honestly don't. I don't know. I, I think it's you still have the witches on broomsticks with black hats trope too firmly yes. drained into our psyche to get rid of. Yeah. And we have, you know, things like Wizard of Oz with our, you know, the good witch and the bad witch, but there's still like, you kind of have to go out of the way to like 
say that this is not a bad thing. Yeah. So how much did that cultural context, if at all, kind of like the perceptions around that, how much did it affect the way? Not at all. It had nothing to do with the word witch and truth witch. Yeah. Mm. Because the witches in, in the witchlands aren't like traditional witches at all. Uh, they don't. There's nothing similar to a Salem witch with the witches in the witch in the witchlands. That's just the term for magic. Magic is called a witchery, and so the people who have magic are witches, and that's that. I appreciate that, you know, because it's like it's a little bit of a reclamation, I suppose, of yeah. that word. Yeah, you know? I, can't do that. <laughs> I consciously did that, but sure, let's pretend I did. <laughs> no, I mean that's cool because even though that's unconscious, that's still like. I just see that as a, as a shift in a positive direction. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, the latest book in the Witchland trilogy. For those who haven't read it yet, what are some of the things that they can expect? Well, it's not a trilogy. Uh, it, is, it is a very large series. The, the fourth book actually just came out, which is the fourth book. Um, and yeah, there are more to come, several more. And it is about it's a very big fantasy series. It's much more, even though the term witch is in there, which sometimes people mistake that for, you know, meaning Salem witches or being paranormal. It is not. It is true high fantasy. And it is very, very complex, maybe too complex. I originally wrote it <laughs> as adult fantasy. We just happened mm. to sell it as YA. So it's dense and complicated. And uh, each book in the series follows one character slightly more, but there are multiple points of view. So in the first book, there are four points of view. In the second, there's five. In the third, there's six. We keep getting bigger. Oh, shoot. <laughs> the latest book, which came out a month ago, is Blood Witch. And it follows a character who can sense people's blood. He can use that to track them, but also he can control their blood. And so he has been sort of treated like a demon his whole life and now through the course of the first th three books or two really he's shifted a lot in who he is and in this book we really get to see his main arc how do you um keep track of all the different complexities you've probably been asked this before i expect but like when you have so many different character arcs going on and a lot of different things like how do you make sure you don't get lost in your own story I don't do a great job. <laughs> I, for better or worse, I'm a gamer. I'm a big gamer. And I mm. built this world like it's an RPG. And that was a mistake because, you know, RPGs have teams of writers. I just have me. Oh, this is true. And so, yes, I have to be very careful. Um, I keep very, very meticulous notes and recorded and backed up in lots of places. There's so many plot threads, so many plot threads. And so I have a gigantic checklist of what has to be answered. And that includes every tiny little question and every big reveal. And when I get to them in a book and they do get dealt with, I check it off. The reason the series is long and keeps getting longer is because I thought each book, I'm like, I'll accomplish 10 off of this list, certainly. And then I only end up accomplishing like three. And there are still 48 more boxes to check off. So, whoops. Um, yeah, but but I also, this is how my brain operates and that's how I tell stories. So I've certainly written simpler series. My first series was much more, It was a, that was a trilogy and it was much more contained and navigable, easy, easier to write. Uh, and I've written a standalone, which is easy. Um, this is a beast. Um, and I will, it, it's really gratifying when readers come to an event and they have 
your book just filled with tabs because they're trying to figure out all the plot things to come. It's so fun uh, to see people theorize what they think is coming because there's just so many reveals and so many things planted from the first book that, yeah, I, I do love it. I do love it. But it is, it is like, wow, a headache. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a fun and also like really challenging yeah. and sometimes overwhelming challenge challenge i just said that twice but yeah yeah anytime i'm starting the next book in the series which is what i'm doing right now i'm working on the next book i'm like oh my god i feel very overwhelmed by all of the things that i need to deal with in this one book um but then by the time it's done and i figured it out i'm like yay now readers get to do is to see all the cool stuff that's been revealed because the first two were very much set up um and then sight witch which was the third also was a lot of setup and then the third the fourth blood witch where we are now the things are finally all the reveals are finally starting to come um there are still lots of things to be dealt with and addressed it's a long series but hmm. yeah it's been really fun with blood witch because payoff is finally coming for the readers and to see them react is so awesome <laughs> payoff is awesome especially when you have things that you're really waiting for and you have to get through a lot to finally yes that is a very satisfying let's switch gears a little bit and talk about intersectionality and kind of like how it applies to characters and things like that first like how would you personally define intersectionality I mean, are we talking about intersectional feminism? Are we talking <laughs> about just the general term intersectionality? I mean, I mean, we can go general if you want to, but I do kind of want to like bring it more specifically to characters and fiction, but I guess kind of however you want to answer it. <laughs> I mean, my idea of intersectionality is just that the broad definition would be that it applies to everyone that they can see themselves in it. So when I, th I think of the term most closely associated with intersectional feminism being that feminism tends to lean towards a, a white slant. And so the idea of intersectional feminism is to include all forms of women and not, not just these white ladies. So I certainly think that fiction has an amazing chance to, to share that kind of message, but also other forms of intersectionality, you know, just to show a really diverse cast doing things that maybe in the past have been typically allocated to white characters or white men. Yeah, yeah. There's this kind of a thing that I've noticed, you know, where sometimes when people want to include diversity, it, it's kind of like they still start with like this, um, the default, you know, default that might be like the the white straight guy or something. Or I, I'm going to I'm going to pick on a specific TV series and I, not to be mean, but just because it's a really good example of this. Um, and that is I'm actually forgetting the name of it, but it's uh, the Marvel series that has Jessica Jones and um I'm forgetting the name, <laughs> but it's like, it's like these four different guys, different, different characters. And if you look at them, they're all kind of different in different ways, but it's basically like they started off with like a, um, able-bodied straight white guy. Oh no, straight isn't even come into that. Uh, able-bodied white guy. And then for, for each of the characters, they like ch change one thing. It's like, all right, now we got an able-bodied white girl. All right, now we got an able-bodied black guy. Now we've got a disabled white guy. And then, and then, so this is kind of the thing where, where it's like, we forget that, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of people that exist in the world that are so much more complex than that. Um, and that's kind of like how, how I think about it in terms of, of characters. There is a criticism that, that comes sometimes, and I don't know how much I agree with this criticism as it applies to, to characters, but um, it's interesting to talk about. And that is that 
it can go kind of that sometimes the, the, the concept can go in a direction where it kind of achieves slightly the opposite, not like the opposite of what it intends, but that it gets to the point where it still is tokenizing people and kind of doing this like, you know, reducing people to, to these certain traits or like doing the ch- kind of check in the box diversity kind of a thing. Do you know what I mean? Do you think that ever happens? I mean, I definitely think it happens. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's actually a pretty common thing. Mm. One regularly named is J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, and so, um, yeah, and I think we're all guilty of it. I know my first series I had, and I, mean, I didn't think of it this way, but I, in hindsight, I can kind of see the main cast was a white girl, white dude. Uh, Chinese girl, black man. So, you know, it's kind of like box checking. Hmm. I tried to make them three di- three dimensional characters and I've never been called out on that in any way, but I that doesn't mean that I don't look back and think, hmm, I wonder what my motives were there. I was definitely a lot less woke when I wrote that in 2009. And, um, and this conversation wasn't on my radar in the way that it is now. Hmm. But uh, yeah. It, I think it's a super common. I think we see that a lot. Yeah, still. Um, I felt like that just now seeing Captain Marvel. It's like, oh, there's some boxes ticked. Cool. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I've been meaning to. Um, yeah. What do you think we can do to kind of avoid that? Is it just being aware of it? or yeah, it- it's just being educated. I think the average person, the woke community is still tiny. And obviously like I'm a white person, I can never be fully woke, (laughs) but I'm doing my best to learn. But I am like such a tiny fraction of the average person out there. Like most people don't ever think about this or notice it. So yeah. And most people who are trying to write books don't. So yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. It's just a lack of awareness. Do you think ever like focusing too much on certain attributes can ever like create just more and more of micro checking the box. So do you think that can ever become arbitrary or is it like kind of useful? I'll just say like quickly, like what I think about it. Cause like, cause I see that as a really useful part in the term, but like idiot check <laughs> to kind of look back at yourself and be like, okay, am I doing the same things over and over again? Do I have the same kind of people in, in ways that doesn't make sense? But then I personally feel like there should come a point where once you've thought this way enough, you've kind of retrained your brain to not go to those defaults. And then that it should kind of come naturally after that. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, yes, definitely. The more you do it, the more your brain learns. But at the same time, it's really hard to change programming. What's the phrase? The first thought you have is your programming. The second thought you have is actually you. So (laughs) I think it's the second thought that will continue to matter, like catching yourself and recognizing where your biases are. Uh, and and your blind spots. And so, yeah, I think it's really great that the conversation has been so broad in YA and also adult SFF. Um, uh, But yeah, but it's still, there's so much, so much learning to do and will be for the rest of my life as a white cishet woman. I guess just one more thing to bring up. um, And that is kind of like, when we're talking about diversity, um, do you ever feel like, it ever gets too simplified the way we talk about it. Like, cause sometimes I, sometimes I worry that we, we lose the complexity of like what diversity means and how like it, at the end you have like every individual person has so many different things about them from others too, you know? And so it's like, it's like this, there's like these two things that are true, right? Which is that 
we have these commonalities between groups that are useful to think about, especially when we're trying to represent people authentically. We're trying to include people, you know, in conversations or include them at the table or whatever it is. Um, and then at the same time, it's like people aren't defined by those groups, right? Because people can differ from right. their groups no, and people no can. Group so like, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it, it's a it's a tricky thing that I find, especially in these conversations around diversity. Um, sometimes we like people will lean one way or the other when it's like both are technically true. Um, but I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? Is there a good way that we can that we can balance that, or is it just kind of a thing that we're constantly going to be adjusting for and thinking about and talking about? Um, probably the latter. I think. Look, I think the people who are raising problems and finding problems have are, are more often than not the people who are the damaged party, and they have a point, and they're allowed to speak that point, and they should. And it's our job to listen and learn. Um, be that a white writer or or a you know person of color writer, it doesn't matter. And uh, and I think YA has actually done a pretty good job of that. It doesn't mean that there's not still mistakes being made, as we've seen recently. There are a lot. And it is the author's job to own up and do better. And I think we're seeing a real shift in people doing that in a good way, instead of, you know, digging in and arguing. Uh, but but yeah, no group is a monolith. There's always going to be someone who who doesn't feel represented by what's on the page. But it's the author's job or any creator's job to work with as many people as they can to accurately represent that character. Um, so, so that it is, does feel true, true to some people. Um, but yeah, there's certainly going to be things that like, I know I worked very closely with a trans man when I was writing a character in Windwitch, and that story was very true to him. And it was in many ways based on him, but I have gotten, well, I've only gotten, I got one email from someone who felt very betrayed by it because it did not represent their experience mm. or his experience. Um, and I felt, I, I felt horrible. And I obviously wrote back and tried to start a dialogue and learn what I could because, you know, my, the last thing I want to do is misrepresent someone. But also at the end of the day, this, this culture of trans men is hardly a monolith. You know, each yeah. person's experience is going to be so different. Um, and I've learned a lot and I will hopefully do better and apply everything I've learned so that I continue to represent it the best I can moving forward. Um, that's, yeah, that's one experience that always stands out to me as, as a good example and a bad example too, of of me maybe screwing up when I could have done better. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I, the kind of thing that I take away from that is just that we need more and more of these stories because it, so much pressure is often put on when, you know, when, you, when there's just like this one character that, that represents a certain experience and, and, or, you know, just two or three, and it's like, it's very rare. There's so much pressure that then is put on those individual characters to like represent so many people. Um, yeah. And that pressure will be lessened the more the more different experiences we're, we're showing in our fiction. Um, and then I think people will be able to like see the kind of different nuances in different ways and and um, and more people will be able to 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 feel like they're being represented. Yeah, because no, no individual, no specific character. One character can be perfect for everyone, obviously. Um, and it's it's yeah, I think kind of like having more is maybe maybe part of the answer for that yeah yeah definitely you're right you're right when we have so many books that you can find yourself in any of them you know not in any of them but you can find yourself in some whereas right now it's almost impossible so yeah 
All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been a really good conversation. How can people um, follow you, keep up with your work, stuff like that? Um, The best way to follow me is on Twitter and Instagram, um, stdinnard, at stdinnard. But I also, the most most people find out about me and connect to me through my newsletter, which is uh, for writers, aspiring authors. It is what I got famous for. So if you are an aspiring author out there, definitely check it out. SusanDenner.com. You can sign up and join the community. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you. That was my conversation with Susan. If you like what you hear, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on iTunes. I'm sure if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you hear people say that a lot, but it actually does really help if you want a real quick and easy way to help out a podcast that you're really enjoying. It really does help more people to discover it. Also, sometimes I like to read reviews that I get from people. So I'm going to do that today. This latest review is from a user named ebowie331. And they say, as a new writer, I wonder all the time about how other writers have dealt with issues around feminism, representation, and other important topics in their fantastical worlds. The host asks exactly the questions I've been wanting to ask that society and writers need to ask. And the guests are astounding. Highly recommended for all writers. Thank you so much for that review. Uh, Really appreciate it. Also, special thank you to my top patron, Brandon, who's also the world deity of the Females in Fantasy podcast. All hail. Next time on the show, I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Kate Elliott. We had a really fabulous interview where we talk about women in history, specifically this issue around what makes for a accurate, historically inspired fantasy world. Um, There's a lot of, I would say, disagreement about what makes sense to show for women in, you know, medieval or other sort of historical fantasy stories and what kind of roles they would play in society. And there's a lot of misconceptions about what actually happened in history and uh, what the line is between wish fulfillment and, well, actually, like how things really work. So she and I go pretty deep into that. And uh, yeah, it's a really fun conversation. I can't wait to share that with you all. To make sure that you don't miss an episode of the podcast, please make sure that you are subscribed. Um, You can find the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud, and all the places that iTunes populates. Until next time, this has been the Females in Fantasy Podcast. I am Brianna Da Silva. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 